Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Welcome to the Saturday Slam and Jam. Hosted by Andrew Schlicht with Alex Spears. How about we can just watch basketball? That's a man's jam! I like that idea. Live from Oklahoma. With questions and participants from all around the world. Whether you're flipping your flapjacks, tending to your yard, or just sipping your coffee, get ready, sit back, relax. It's the Saturday Slam and Jam. Fact is, I missed this shot. I walk away, I'm still a chunk. Here's Andrew. Welcome to the Saturday Slam and Jam. I'm your host, Andrew Schlecht. Make sure that you go to theathletic.com slash NBA show to get all of your athletic content for $3.99 a month. I'm here with my co-host, Alex Spears. Alex, what's up? What's up, Andrew? And what a week it was. Andrew, let's take a look <laughs> back at the week. What do you say? Let's do it. So, Andrew, the week began with two teams who struggled early in the season reasserting themselves with massive wins. On Friday, the Miami Heat won their fifth in a row by beating the NBA's best team, the Utah Jazz. And on Saturday, Luka and the Mavs ended Brooklyn's eight-game winning streak to get back to 500. On the flip side, Andrew, Saturday night saw two humiliating losses. First, the Rockets losing their 11th straight game while shooting 4 of 45 from three-point range in a loss to the Grizzlies. And second, the Kings somehow losing a game to the Hornets in which they were up by eight with 53 seconds left. On Monday, Kings. So so kings. Kings. On Monday, Atlanta Hawks president Travis Schlenk celebrated the three-month anniversary of his critically acclaimed offseason by firing head coach (laughs) Lloyd Pierce. On Tuesday, the Boston Celtics won their third game in a row with an impressive win over the Clippers, making anyone who planned an entire podcast segment around the quote-unquote sputtering Boston Celtics last week look like a total bozo. (laughs) Who would do that? Who would do that? Not me. On Wednesday, the Sixers beat the Utah Jazz in a controversial overtime win after which Utah Jazz center Rudy Gobert floated out the conspiracy theory that the league's referees have a vendetta against the Jazz and other small market teams. But on Thursday night, we learned that the league's vendetta against the Jazz goes far beyond the refs and may actually include everyone outside of Salt Lake City because during a draft of the all-star rosters, LeBron and KD did not select Utah Jazz stars Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert until the final two picks. Now, LeBron justified the late selections by pointing out that nobody ever plays as the Jazz in video games. Everyone other than Utah fans agreed, you know what, that's actually a pretty good point, and found the entire episode incredibly amusing. And that brings us to today. What a week it was, Andrew. Wow. The jazz stuff is funny. It's it's just such a weird the, the thought of, hey, I'm not gonna pick Donovan Mitchell, who's one of the more one of the better and more exciting guards in the league, because I never played with John Stockton and Carl Malone <laughs> in a video game. Two decades an, ago. Two decades ago. What an odd, hilarious, and reasonable way to choose a team. I think it's perfectly valid. Yeah, it makes sense to me. <laughs> it totally makes sense. Did you have did you have a combo that you played with in NBA Jam back in the uh, day? Probably the Supersonics, Peyton and Kemp. Oh, 
Yeah. Well, the Detlef Shrimp was a part of that combo. Yeah. I mean, that's the Sonics were definitely a great one. Uh, Alex, another great one. And I just, he's, this guy's undeniable. And I had to bring him up as my most interesting thing of the week. And it's really the most interesting, one of the more interesting things of this season is LaMelo Ball. Mm. And to get to how interesting that he is, I think we have to rewind a little bit to pre-draft. Because the truth is no one had any clue. Actually, outside of Sam Vecini, there are very few people that had any clue what to do with LaMelo Ball. This is Rick Bonnell. This is before he was drafted. Rick Bonnell wrote this. He said, I am he- here's what I'm hearing from the league at large. LaMelo Ball is not performing well at job interviews. I've heard that from multiple sources. He is not improving his perception via job interview. There are people drafting later in the top 10 who would, or were not prepared for the possibility of Ball being around. I'm not saying that he will not be in the top three I am saying that I know for a fact that there are teams later in the top 10 who would do more research on him because they no longer think it's a given he will. So people were thinking, oh, he's dropping out because of these interviews. Scott Fowler of the Charlotte Observer, (laughs) this after he is drafted. I think this is the day after. This is just gold. He said, sorry to throw cold water. This guy lives in Charlotte for crying out loud. Sorry to throw cold water on the virtual parade, but LaMelo Ball isn't going to be a big NBA star. The Hornets should have traded up to acquire James Weissman at number two. The Hornets badly need some more style, and style is what Ball has, but there's not enough substance to go along with it. It's it's crazy. The thing about the job interviews... Like one of the most awkward things that happened in that pre-draft process was um, Bobby Marks of ESPN actually runs a lot of these guys through like interview training. And one of the yep. guys that he ran through was LaMelo Ball. And I remember hearing him on a podcast, like basically have to talk about these reports yep. where in retrospect, it sounds like maybe LaMelo was just kind of tanking these interviews on purpose or whatever. Right. Like who cares? I don't know. It, it's just it's very funny that that's what the big story was before the draft. <sighs> It's just like, give me a break. Just go, rewind back to your life, Alex, when you were 19 years old. Were you oh, a good interview? I actually have a story. I okay. went to, this is the worst interview I've ever had. It was with a, a, like a corporate type of job. I got all dressed up in a suit. I arrive in the parking lot and look down at my feet and realize that I'm still wearing my black ankle socks with dress shoes. And I'm terrified. I immediately go into a panic attack and what I did, Andrew, t- I took off my socks and I chewed through the toes of the socks so that I could pull them up <laughs> no, farther. Yes, I did. I was so I was so scared, Andrew. I was so scared. So I chewed through the socks. I pulled them up higher on my feet so that they actually covered my ankles. And guess what? I got the job. But that was like that was the scariest job interview because I thought I was heading. I thought they were going to see it instantly, see my ankles, and say, "Get out of here." <laughs> that is true psycho behavior right there. <laughs> well, Lamella should have been chewing through his socks apparently because he. A lot of people thought he should not get the job. Uh, Jay Billis pre-draft says uh, he's going to have to really work on it. Uh, talking about his shot. Uh, he's got an odd release, and worse than the odd release that doesn't go in. Mm, the shot mm. doesn't go in. Fast forward to now. Sam Vecini just wrote in his top 10 
of the best young players in the NBA, which, which I believe he was eighth on this list. He's awesome and looks like the Hornets franchise player. He's everything they could have hoped for when he somehow fell to number three. So taking a look at his stats, he's been so impressive since he's been made a starter. So his on, on the season, he's 15, six and six. And to start the year, he was coming off the bench for the Hornets. They really right. wanted to bring him on slowly. They didn't want to put too much on his plate. And he was averaging 12 points per game. And it was like, oh, okay. He's, he's, a, he's a dude. He's a guy. That's fine. And then you fast forward to putting him as the starter. 20.7 points per game as the starter. And what's crazier is that his efficiency continues to go up the more minutes he's played. So in games that he played... 10 to 19 minutes, he's averaging 6 points per game on 42% true shooting. Not great. 20 minutes, around 20 minutes per game, he's averaging 12 points uh, on 52% true shooting. And then, basically as the starter, playing closer to 30 minutes a game, he's 20 points per game, 59% true shooting. And it's not just on shots at the rim. He's got a floater that he's really developed from really anywhere in from the paint. way out. He he's playing against the Utah Jazz and he had the wherewithal to take a floater basically from the free throw line because he knew that if he got any closer Gobert would be able to close out or or block it. Right. And so he's turning he's turning the corner and he's shooting a floater literally from the free throw line. It's kind of a wild looking shot but it goes in. Uh, his three point shots going in. He looks and and he can throw really any pass in that he wants to to anybody and some of the some of the best passes are to Miles Bridges and their nickname is Airbnb which is which is LaMelo approved which is really fun and obviously LaMelo is a very fun player he's a wonderful offensive player he's there's some some things to be desired defensively but he's got the body type like he's not Trey Young and that Trey Young will never be taller than he is. He's never going to get bigger than he is. But LaMelo's got the physical tools to be a defender, and I feel like if he gets in the right situation, he could be all right, uh, just because he does have the body. Uh, so aside from LaMelo being an exciting player, the play-by-play guy in Charlotte, Eric Collins, the most excitable guy maybe in the world. He, I mean, he, I really think he adds like 5 to 10% to every LaMelo highlight. Like, yeah. if I watch a LaMelo highlight without Eric Collins, I'm like, okay, LaMelo's probably going to be an all-star one day. Maybe he'll get an all-NBA. I listen to, or I watch a LaMelo highlight with Eric Collins, and I'm like, this guy's a Hall of Famer. <laughs> I know. <laughs> well, we watch SGA. I think we probably, both of us have watched SGA's every single minute that he's played this season, and he's been tremendous. But it's like, if he, he hit this three last night with just basically no airspace, and it was like, oh, what a shot from SGA. The guy's riding up his grill. And it's like, cool. I, just a normal response. This is Eric Collins. This is, here's the context for both of these calls. And I just kind of have them in here back to back. This is with 10 minutes left in the third quarter against the Timberwolves. So this is about as unwatchable of basketball that it gets. And here's Eric Collins on the call. LaMelo rings the bell! LaMelo, the rip through with the left hand! 
there is nothing exciting happening in this game. Lamello! And he's, Lamello! he's just, and you just feel like, does he have much more room to get excited for really exciting things? And that brings me to Airbnb. Anything that happens with Miles Bridges, I am surprised that Eric has a voice or even a head. I just feel like his head would just blow off in the middle of this. Here's Eric Collins on some alley-oops to Miles Bridges from the Mellow Ball. Hornets get it back. Here comes LaMelo Ball with his hair on fire. Alley-oops. It just explodes. I love it's the not way even he says a game. Lamello. Just listen to it once more. It's just so good. It's just so wholesome. Like it just makes you when I watch Hornets games, it just makes me love basketball more. Hornets get it back. Here comes LaMelo Ball with his hair on fire. Alley-oop. so good oh it's just there's just something so wonderful and wholesome about not only this whole charlotte team but the call is just so good it's just over like everything is over the top everything is great and you know i hadn't listened to eric a whole lot before this season i assume that he's been like this but to have a player like Lamelo to pair with eric collins is better than any other player they could pair LaMelo with. It's just such a wonderful pairing. I love it. Uh, I just I it, loved watching this team this week. And it's such a turnaround, like, in, in terms of style, everything, in terms of uh, wattage, like wanting to watch the Hornets. I mean, I remember yes. on our other podcast two years ago, we were doing over-unders in the preseason, and we skipped the Hornets. We, we, did. didn't, even, we didn't even choose their over-under. And we, we saw their name. We were just like, I don't feel like talking about the Hornets <laughs> right now. <laughs> no, thank you. Well, and it's and allowed Terry yeah. Rose. It, it's allowed Terry Rozier to become the player he's supposed to be, and it's allowed Malik Monk to become the player that he's supposed to be, and it gives Miles Bridges an obvious, like, great guy to connect with. It's he allows everybody on that team to kind of take their rightful place, and they they had a lot of scoring guards last year. Uh, to the point where Malik Monk really couldn't even take off because there wasn't space for him to. Like, there was no, like, really great passer. And you bring in LaMelo, and you also bring on Gordon Hayward to this team. And now you have two guys that can glue together the entire offense and really help these guys get going. And Malik Monk has had a great season. Malik Monk kind of came on late last year, uh, about to head into the bubble. Not heading into the bubble. Right before the league was shut down, he was playing really well. And the league gets shuts down, and like we just don't know. Like, was that real? I don't know. Uh, and he's been wonderful this year as well. So huge credit to James Borrego, who I think has has been very very good for them as a very young coach in the league. But Lamelo Ball, man, he's he's the most interesting thing of the week for me. I I I loved watching him. I think that he is an NBA star. I think he's going to be great. And Lavar Ball doesn't seem to be a problem. No, At least I no. haven't heard a whole lot about it. Uh, he, Lamella did have this to say about his dad. He said, people who think my dad is a bully, you should probably just hang out with him for a day and see what happens. Uh, which almost feels like a threat. It does. Uh, it does. To me, more than it does like <laughs> sticking up for his dad. But it's just been a wonderful experience so far altogether. Huge shouts to Lamella Ball.
And before we go on to my most interesting thing, just to add some historical context to what he's doing, um, players to average 15, 6, and 6 in their rookie season. There's only been five guys, one of them LaMelo. The other four, Oscar Robertson, Magic Johnson, Ben Simmons, and Michael Carter-Williams. Now, if you <laughs> add in the three-point shooting, because right now he's yeah. shooting about 37%, no one has put up a rookie season like this. Yeah. Furthermore, if you just look, not even rookie seasons. So since he started um, being in the starting lineup with the Hornets, he's averaging over 20 points per game. So let's just say, Andrew, at the end of the year, he ends up somewhere around 18-6-6. Six, six. Doesn't that sound reasonable? Yeah. Shooting about oh, for sure. 36% from three. Like, that's not a crazy yeah. stat line. 18, six, and six, mm-hmm. 36% from three. There's only been 20 seasons like that in NBA history. LeBron and Larry Bird account for 11 of those 20 seasons. And the other names are MJ, heard of him, Magic Johnson, James Harden, Jokic, CP3, Steve Francis, and Fat Lever. So he's putting up historical numbers, and it seems like we still don't know what the ceiling is even within this rookie season. Because even in his yeah. first two games in March, he had 24.5 points per game. Mm-hmm. He's been unbelievable. Scott Fowler, who wrote the article about him not being able to be a star in the NBA, said that he was going to print this article and to eat his own words if he had to. So, oh, no. Uh, challenge to Scott Fowler to uh, get, get it ready, man. Eat your words, Scott Fowler. <laughs> Okay, well, my most interesting thing of the week kind of has a a personal feel to it because it's the New York Knicks. And why is it personal? Well, in the preseason, Andrew, you could possibly describe me as a Knicks hater. And the reason I was hating on the Knicks in the preseason was I just didn't understand what the goal was. On the one hand, they brought in Tom Thibodeau. There were reports that the Knicks were going after Gordon Hayward, Fred Van Vliet, All indications that they were interested in winning. On the other hand, they were largely bringing back the same roster that won 21 games last year, an indication that perhaps they weren't all that interested in winning. And then you started seeing at the end of the offseason, people were celebrating the Knicks solely for not screwing up and declaring that a successful (laughs) offseason. Like the Knicks didn't screw up. Yeah, what a great (laughs) offseason. So I looked at all this. And I was like, what What are they doing? Like, I, I saw a team that wasn't going to be bad enough to get a good pick because of Tibbs. Mm-hmm. But I also saw a team that wasn't going to be good enough for it to really matter. Well, Andrew, it might be time to eat a little crow for me. <laughs> because what has happened is that the Knicks are now 19 and 18. They're 8 and 3 in their last 11 games. They're one of only five Eastern Conference teams over 500 at the break. And this is the first time the Knicks have been over 500 at the All-Star break since 2012-2013. Why has this happened? Well, one of the reasons is because Julius Randle became an All-Star at age 26, possible All-NBA player, and his Mm -hmm. stats are truly wild. So he is averaging about 23, 11, and and 5.5 assists. Andrew, in NBA history, how many players do you think have put up 20, 10, and 5 while shooting 40% from 3. Because, by the way, he's shooting four, over 40% from 3. It's got to be like 3. It's 1. Larry Bird did it once. Larry Bird <laughs> did that once. 20, 10, and 5 while shooting 40% from 3. Now, interestingly, Randall and Jokic are both doing that this season, which yeah. is kind of cool. But Julius Randle, like, he is the type of player that the Most Improved Player Award was made for. Because too often we yeah. give it to guys who are, like, in their second year, their third year, where there's some, there should be some expectation that they're going to get better. 
For Julius Randle to be doing this, carrying a team like the Knicks this late in his career and his development, like that is what most improved player is all about. He's been incredible. The other thing that's happened is that they are the second best defense in the league. Now, maybe this shouldn't be a shock considering who the coach is, but given that this team was 23rd in defense last year and entered this season with largely the same roster, I can't help but be a little surprised. In fact, eight of their top 11 in minutes played for last year's team are still on the roster. So this is largely the same roster who was not good at defense last year, now second in the league. And the other big development is a guy I know you've been watching, the development of second-year player R.J. Barrett. Yeah, R.J. has been really, really good this year for them. It's It's been almost a surprising development because he, coming out of Duke, he seemed like a guy that needed to be the guy to make it in the league. And he really hasn't been that for the Knicks this year. He has been a really positive contributor on both ends for them. He's really he's got a great NBA body. That was something that always attracted people to him. But I am surprised at his comfort level in passing this season. I've been surprised at his comfort level in being a cutter. Like he moves a lot without the ball for the Knicks and is a kind of great secondary playmaker for them. Uh, and he's also shooting the ball pretty well. 34.7% from 3 on 3.2 attempts is nice. So he's been a huge part of why they've stepped up. Obviously, it's it's been widely told that he's a guy that plays a ton of minutes. He and Randall are toward the top in minutes played uh, in the NBA, which is part of their success. But huge credit to not only Tom Thibodeau, but R.J. Barrett and Julius Randall for both kind of stepping up uh, when given more responsibility. Because a lot of guys get more responsibility on bad teams, and it just doesn't really get them much. And they may get numbers, but they don't get the right. wins. And the Knicks have won enough to... And that that record, it doesn't sound crazy impressive. They're one game over 500. To be in the Eastern Conference and be one game over 500, you are a solid playoff team. That's yeah, exactly. <laughs> yes, yeah, so, so solid that we have to start thinking about, are the Knicks going to be buyers at the trade deadline? Because at least... <laughs> The past Knicks teams, yeah. you would think that this is the exact opportunity where they would make a trade for someone to try to push this as far as it can go. The name that's out there that's been floated is Victor Oladipo, of course, who's with the Rockets now. He's on an expiring contract. There's been reports that both the Heat and the Knicks are among teams that might have interest in him. Ian Begley mm-hmm. said that, I do know that some people with the Knicks are very high on Oladipo, but I don't know if the top decision makers are high on Oladipo. That one seems risky to me. How, how would you feel about the Knicks going after Oladipo right now? Vic just hasn't been that good. I mean, I, I mean he's going to take all of Emmanuel Quickly's minutes, right? Yeah. I'd just rather continue to develop quickly, quickly, and not have Victor Oladipo on the team. Because then you're going to have to pay him, and then what is he moving forward? I, I would not, I just don't want to be the team to decide that. Um, and also from what I hear about Victor Oladipo, it's... I don't, even, I don't know if it's the Heat that want him or if it's really that he wants to be with the Heat. Oh, and yes. that, to me, is actually a pretty nice fit. They were obviously a, a team that really wanted to go after Giannis. And they're looking for somebody to kind of fill a, the void that Jay Crowder and some of those other guys had left. And so Oladipo on a team like that, 
that might be fine. I just, I don't know. The Knicks have something going, and I just don't know that Victor Oladipo is the guy to come in and take them to the next level because he obviously is not doing that in Houston. And, and what is worrying about Oladipo is, one, you're going to have to pay him at the end of the season, as you brought up, and he's looking for a max deal. Whether he gets that or not, who knows, but we know that there's going to be a lot of money out there and not a lot of good players on the market. Yep. The other thing, though, is you're probably going to have to give up something for him, whether that's one of the Dallas picks. Like You're going to have to give up something. And so one of the other names that's been floated, which I actually do like, is Evan Fournier for Mm -hmm. the Orlando Magic. Similar to Oladipo, he isn't expiring, but I think we'd all agree that he would be less expensive than Oladipo. Like If you could get an Evan Fournier for a Kevin Knox in a second-round pick or something like that, would you consider it? Because Evan Fournier would be a huge boost to this offense, which is not great. You know, the offense is a bottom five offense right now, both in terms of his shooting and his playmaking. So he's taking 6.7 three-point attempts per game right now. No current Nick is above 4.7 attempts. So I, I think he would actually help this team in the short term. And then even if you decided to keep him in the summer, maybe he wouldn't be as expensive. Well, I know he wouldn't be as expensive as whatever Oladipo is going to be looking for. Sure. Uh, yeah, Definitely. I'm all aboard bringing Evan Fournier to a team that wants to compete this year. I think he is probably one of the more underrated guys in the league just because no one ever talks about him. <laughs> Never. Like, like there's, there's guys that people think are underrated. Like uh, even Shea is a guy that people see as underrated. I don't, I really don't think so. I think guys like Evan Fournier who can put up 20 every single night and this this might be the first time that he's been mentioned on an athletic NBA show this whole season. Oh, just shout because, out to him. Yeah, big shout out to Evan Fournier. Yeah, I think that that is something that a lot of contenders should be looking at if they can make a deal like that happen for him. Just because shooting is maybe the most important skill in the modern NBA, and he's a guy that can do it. And not only that, he can attack a closeout. He can play make for others. Uh, he's not the obviously not a great defender, but I don't think he's a sieve. Uh, get get Evan Fournier. Free Evan Fournier. That would be great. Now, Andrew, there are some remaining questions as we go into the second half of the year, one of which is the strength of schedule. So according to tankathon.com, the Knicks have the fifth most difficult schedule he- coming up in the entire league. And if you start looking at how they do against good teams versus bad teams, that's a little worrying because they are 14 and yeah. 10 against teams who are 500 or worse, 5 and 8 against teams who are 500 or better. Now, there's some... You know, there's some wiggle room there because so many teams in the East have been right around 500. So maybe those stats aren't perfect. But as Mike Vorkanov of The Athletic noted, the Knicks only have one two-game stretch coming up where they don't play a team currently in the top 10 of their conference. And it's two consecutive games against the surging Washington Wizards. (laughs) So this schedule coming up is going to be really difficult. And the other remaining question that I think is a big one is their defense. So as I mentioned, they're currently second in defense. As Seth Partnow of The Athletic has noted, he's been documenting, discussing this, Knicks opponents are shooting a league-worst 32.5% from three this season. That is the worst mark in the league by a decent margin. And Mm -hmm. please go read his articles on shot quality, because as he noted at the end of one of those recent articles, this isn't to say that New York is somehow doomed and that they're going to give up 42% from deep for the rest of the season. Rather, they are likely to give up 36 to 37% over the rest of the season. Back of the envelope, this would be the equivalent of taking their defense from third in the league to right around league average. Now, that's scary because if you suddenly have an average defense with a bottom five offense playing a much more difficult schedule, 
all of a sudden we're telling a much different story about the Knicks. That said, yeah. so far it's been great, Andrew. So let's end on a positive note. And that's why the <laughs> Knicks are the most interesting thing that happened this week. Get the Knicks back in the playoffs. Come on. All right, Andrew. It's that time once again. It's time for a birthday bash. Blow out the candles, get your cake, and eat it too. It's the birthday bash. It's your birthday. Somebody in here, it's your birthday. It's your birthday. Somebody in here, it's your birthday. It's your birthday. Everybody move like it's your birthday. A bunch of guys in the NBA are turning one year older this week, and to celebrate those birthdays, we are going to quiz our resident birthday historian, Andrew Schlecht, I will give Andrew two players who had birthdays this week. Andrew, you will tell me who is younger or if they are the same age. We'll do this five times and calculate your score. Last week, you got two out of five correct. Good for 40%. A great score if you were shooting three-pointers, but a terrible score if you were guessing which of two random guys is younger. But let's see if you can do better this week. Andrew, are you ready? I'm ready. Obi Toppin, Matisse Thibel. Oh, that's a toughie. I think that Obi is older. You think Obi is older? Andrew, I've tricked you because that is wrong. Matisse Leibel <laughs> turned 24 this week. Obi Toppin turned 23. Okay, okay. All right, next one. Cameron Johnson, Emmanuel Moutier. Oh, my gosh. What a weird one. <laughs> Emmanuel Moutier better be older. My goodness. <laughs> Andrew, they are the same age. They are both turning no. 25 this week. Emmanuel Moody is only 25. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. He's not in the NBA, though, right? I don't believe Am so. Am I missing something? Uh, yeah. Um, Unbelievable. Wow. wow. Rough start, Andrew. These are some tricky ones, apparently. <laughs> Next one. Alex Caruso, Myers Leonard. Oh. Myers Leonard's younger. Andrew, that is incorrect. Alex Caruso <laughs> turning 27 this week. Myers Leonard turning 29. Uh -huh. okay, oh, Andrew, okay. you're in the danger Sheesh. zone. Now you're just trying this to save bad. some face. Oh, All right, no. next one. Draymond Green, Mason Plumley. Oh, goodness. I'll say Mason is older. I got it wrong, didn't I? You did get it wrong because they are the same <laughs> age, both turning okay. 31 this week. And finally, See, I let's. about that option. Okay. Yeah, that is true. Continue. Our final one, we're jumping in the time machine as we did last week with the Van Arsdale twins. Wally Zerbiak, Tayshawn Prince. Zerbiak's got to be older, right? Andrew, that is correct. Wally Zerbiak okay. turning 44 this week, Tayshawn Prince, 41. Okay. All right, yeah. so you went one for five. Wow, that was super, super terrible. That was super <laughs> terrible. <laughs> uh, coming up after this break, something that's not super terrible is talking about Zion Williamson. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. 
You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service that you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. All right, and that brings us to favorite segment of the week, the Wheel of Fandom. Every week, I spin a digital wheel with all 30 team names on it. And we pick a team that we are going to follow for the next week. Now, last week, the wheel landed on the New Orleans Pelicans. And Andrew, if the wheel landed on the Pelicans, who does that mean our guest is today? It's the best. This is Will Guillory. Will, what's up? I'm doing well, man. I appreciate y'all for having me on. I don't know if if I'm lucky to be the second guy on the wheel or if this is bad luck. I guess we're about to find out. (laughs) We're about to find out. Uh, This is a good question to find out on. Uh, Well, the first question, kind of our icebreaker is, what are your mentions like on Twitter? Oh, wow. That's a great question. Um, It depends on the night. I would say uh, on a bad Pelicans night, they're usually on fire, especially this may surprise y'all, but if Lonzo Ball has a bad night, then Pelicans Twitter is is a really dark place because you got the Lonzo (laughs) stands over here where Lonzo Ball threw like the big ball of brand and the, the Facebook show and all of that. He still got this core fan base who like ride or die for him and then you've got this pelicans fan base on the other side where they're just completely anti the lonzo stands and they're tired of the people just riding for him no matter what and i tweeted a meme the other day because lonzo's been playing so well i tweeted like the the dap uh meme where it was like pelicans fans on one side lonzo stands on the other <laughs> yeah. side they're finally united they're ready to pay him so I, I, we're starting to make some progress but yeah on the wrong night the pels twitter can be a real ugly place <laughs> Well, it was, it was kind of a weird week because on the one hand, we, we got to watch probably their best win of the season against the Utah Jazz. But on the flip side, we also got to see some of the disappointing aspects of the Pelicans. They only went one and three, lost to the Spurs, the Bulls, and the Heat. Would you agree that this week was a good representative sample of what it's been like watching the Pelicans this season, kind of this roller coaster ride? I was going to say, you guys caught the Pels on the perfect week because that pretty much summed up the entire season. They look great when they play the good team. Zion looks unstoppable. The defense looks a lot better. Lonzo Ball's hitting threes. And then all of a sudden, you see a team from the bottom of the stand that's coming to the building, and they look like they don't know what they're doing. They don't know how to get a stop. They, they forget to pass Zion the ball for long stretches of the game. And, yeah, it's just been a, up, a roller coaster with this team all year. Uh, you see – uh, the potential with guys like Zion and Brandon Ingram, Lonzo Ball having maybe the best season of his career, even Eric Bledsoe shooting the ball really well uh, at this point in his career. Uh, but then there are other nights where just this team, you know, they, they still don't know how to really maintain that level from game to game. And some of it is youth. Some of it is just they got to get some uh, a few different guys in here. They got to splash a, a new identity in that locker room, I think, just because we've got a large enough sample size now to say, okay, what they're doing just isn't working and they got to switch something up. It's just hard to tell how much change they're going to introduce when, you know, it's still such a young team and they want to get these guys minutes. 
Right. So let's talk Lonzo Ball. You mentioned him as a part of your Twitter mentions. He's just such a divisive player, and they are going to have to make a choice on this guy, right? Uh, what's the kind of general sentiment uh, around the Pelicans on what they're going to do with Lonzo? Yeah, if you would have caught me earlier in the year, I would have said uh, it was most likely that he wouldn't have been around just because he was playing so poorly, uh, coming off the bubble performance. And it, and they just drafted Kyra Lewis. So it was like, okay, they're starting to make that transition at point guard. It looked like Lonzo isn't the guy for this team. And then he missed three games due to a knee injury uh, when they were on the West long West Coast trip, the longest road trip of the season. And he came back off of that road trip, and he's been unbelievable since shooting the ball at an extremely high clip. And I think the most important thing, a lot of people point to Lonzo's shooting numbers to determine whether he's playing well or not. I think the big thing for him lately is that he's really learned how to fit next to Zion and B.I. And obviously, if you're building this team, if you're David Griffin, you're looking at all these guys and saying, okay, how do they fit next to our two best players? How do we build next to our two all-stars? And I think Lonzo was a big question mark in that regard but I think the way he's played as of late with his shooting with his defense on ball and off ball with the way he's increased the pace consistently offensively I I think he's been a really important piece for this team and I think at this point it would be a shock for me if they did move him just because he's played so well and at the end of the day they're in control because they have him as a restricted free agent so I, I think he's played his way into the future with this team and now the question is you know what is that contract gonna look like with a free agency class that's, you know, not exactly great up and down. Right. Yeah. And I, I love Lonzo and I feel like on this team, he's so, he's such a good fit because he is purely complimentary. He's such mm-hmm. a good complimentary player. So in my mind, he's always been like a core piece for the Pelicans. So it's been interesting to kind of read some of the Pelicans fan comments because it is very divided, even, even in the midst of this amazing run where he's shooting like over 45% from three. Um, one of their other, or one of the biggest offseason acquisitions for them was Stephen Adams, who was ostensibly brought in for his defense. And despite his presence, the Pelicans' defense, even with Adams on the court, has still been bad. And there are real concerns about his fit with Zion. What is the general fan sentiment around Adams, and is there still long-term hope for this fit? Yeah, I would say Steven is probably the, the opposite of, of what Lonzo's case was this year, where the first month of the season, I was telling people Steven was the best, third best player on the team. I, I thought he was incredible mm-hmm. to start the season with his defense and rebound. And he had a couple games where he had 20 rebounds. He had the first triple-double of his career early in the season. And he kind of he did a great job of alleviating a lot of those concerns uh, with him and Zion's fit offensively, at least. Uh, I think those guys have done a great job working together. Obviously, there's going to be stretches where the spacing is a little, you know, yucky. But I, I think they've they figured out how to build one of the best offenses in the league with those two guys on the court. But I think as of late, he's been dealing with a couple issues here and there. He's had a calf, sprained his ankle. I think he's had some back stuff as well. And he's just not looked the same as of late. He's not moving around quite as well. His rebounding numbers have dropped significantly. And I think, you know, of anybody on this team, I think this break is needed for Steven Adams more than anybody else. Just because I think he's got to get his body right. He's got to get his mind right. And I think he just hasn't been quite the same. But I still think he's an important piece for this team because I think Ultimately, the coaching staff and the front office has kind of made the determination that we all wanted to see the idea of, you know, it's funny that we're all looking at point Zion now because coming into the league, a lot of people were pointing at him and saying, okay, 
he could play a similar role to what Draymond Green was doing up there mm-hmm. in Golden State, playing that small ball five, yep. playing a guy who can have the ball at the top of the key, take advantage of some mismatches. And I think the Pelicans have kind of made the determination that that they really don't want to do that, that Zion isn't ready for that role defensively. He's not rebounding at a high enough rate. So they need they needed a guy like a Steven Adams to kind of cover up some of those holes in Zion's game. And while he's helped in, in some regard, I think he could be a lot better just because uh, there's no reason why they should be this bad defensively with Steven Adams and Eric Bledsoe and Lonzo Ball in a starting lineup. These are guys right. who are known for defense, and this is one of the worst defensive teams in the league. Yeah, this and this is unfortunately just kind of par for the course for Steven is that he has good start. He did this with the Thunder for, for years where he'd start the season really well, and then he plays such a physical brand of basketball. He's mm-hmm. getting into it with guys every single game, and he starts to kind of tack on these little injuries. And he will play through each and every one. He won't complain about it. He won't tell you that he's hurt. You'll probably have to hear it from somebody else that he's hurt. <laughs> uh, that's just kind of how his game has been. And he is he's a really smart player. He's... He's one of my favorite people to talk basketball with just because he knows the game just so, so well and is able to explain it at a high level. But his body has just been kind of failing him the last several years, and I I really hate to see that for him. Uh, It's really surprising because coming into the Steven Adams experience, and obviously me and Andrew talked about this, that you know everybody has a Steven Adams story about how hilarious he is, about all the funny stuff he does behind the scenes. But it really shocked me in some of these Zoom interviews when you really get him to talk in basketball. Man, that guy is extremely smart. He could break down the game so well. And you kind of look at him and you don't think of him as this high basketball IQ guy. But I think... He absolutely fits in that mold, and I think that's a big reason why him and Zion have kind of figured it out because those guys are smart enough to kind of get out of each other's way, and I think that's an important step in their development, but you're exactly right. Stevens just got to stay healthy, and I think when he's healthy, he looks great, but when he's not, he's moving around a little slow motion, and and you know a guy that size, if you're, you're one step too slow, that's all it takes for these guards to take advantage of you, and that's what we've seen the past few weeks. Mm-hmm. So I'm curious about the trade deadline with the Pelicans and what they could do. They could go in a lot of different directions. They've got veterans that are attractive to teams that are really trying to make a playoff push. They've got a lot of young guys. They have a ton of draft picks, so they could really do whatever they want. Uh, I'm curious about it from just the standpoint of team building and where where is this team headed as far as team building? Like, Who are the guys that you think are locks to stay on this team long-term and then who are the guys that could possibly be on the block? Yeah, I think the obvious ones are, uh, you know, B.I. Zion. I think Steven Adams is here for the long haul. Uh, Kyra Lewis, I would say uh, as of right now, I would still say Nikhil and, uh, and Jackson Hayes are on that list. I think Jackson has kind of played a little bit better mm-hmm. as of late. I think it has been a struggle for him this year and there's been some real concerns uh, about you know his development but he he's still very early in his career uh but i think you know for me the number one guy to keep an eye on going into the trade deadline is jj reddick uh, i think he's a guy we've been hearing rumors about all season we understand that you know he's at the latter end of his career he would want to be on a contender he would rather be 
East Coast, closer to his family. I know it's been really difficult on him this year. This is one of the first years of his career where he's been just completely away from his family, hasn't seen his kids, hasn't seen his wife. And I think, you know, uh, in a crazy season like this with all the COVID protocols and traveling to not be able to see your family, I think it's extremely tough and something fans don't really think about, you know, during this age. Uh, but I think he's a guy that the Pels are going to try to find something out, uh, you know, with him just because I think he's going to have some value with these contending teams. Once we get closer to the trade deadline, you know, a team like Brooklyn or Philly, yep. they're going to look around and say, we could add one more shooter. We know what JJ is going to bring in a playoff environment. So I think they're going to try to find some value for him. And obviously, I think the Lonzo discussions will continue. I don't think a trade is going to happen, but you got to listen to what teams are throwing at you. So I think those are the two big names to keep an eye on. And I, and I would say JJ is the most likely guy to move uh, before that trade deadline. Yeah. What are they going to do with Josh Hart? Are they going to pay him? Yeah, I mean, just from discussions I've had from people within the team, they love him. Uh, I think they love everything he brings. You know, watching the team this week, I'm sure you guys see that he's one of the few guys on this roster who just plays with a level of intensity yep. and physicality defensively consistently. And that's yes. something Stan Van Gundy has been praying and just preaching to his team. We got to play with physicality. We got to play smart. We got to make sure that the other team feels us. And nobody does that more than Josh Hart. Uh, he's undersized for the role they have him playing, but I, I think you can pretty much put him on any perimeter guy in the league and feel pretty good. He rebounds at an extremely high rate for a guy his size. His shooting's a little up and down, but he still finds a way to make an impact offensively with those fast break, you know, the one man, you know, kind of fast breaks he does where he's kind of barrels into people and somehow gets a layup up there. So I think he has an extremely high value for this team, and I think they're going to do everything to bring him back because, like I said, I mean, they need all the good defenders they can get. And he's a guy who doesn't care about his shots. He doesn't mind if B.I. and Zion take all the shots. He just wants to play defense. He wants to get his boards and jack up a few threes here and there. And that's the type of guy you need with, with this squad. Yeah, it was fun watching them this week and getting to hear Antonio Daniels. And one of the things that Antonio Daniels brought up multiple times across the week was the team's effort level. And it does mm. seem like Josh Hart is one of those guys where you never question his effort. Like he's yeah, always going to be bringing it every single night. Um, I had a more general question. So over the years, there's been a lot of talk about fluctuating fan interest for the New Orleans Hornets slash Pelicans. It's obviously a small market and a big football town with the Saints. I was wondering in your time covering the team and also just being from New Orleans, what have you seen as far as a Zion effect on the fan base in terms of increased local interest or support for the team? Which I know is kind of weird this season because of you know, COVID, not a lot of fans in the building. Yeah, I was going to say it's been weird from the very start because if you if you go back, I mean, obviously when they win the lottery, I wasn't in New Orleans, but I can tell you my phone that night was <laughs> like anything <laughs> I've ever experienced after they win the Zion lottery. People were losing their mind and I, I'm starting to get all these videos of the celebrations and I tweeted out a video, you know, that night of everybody's reaction uh, when the news dropped that he that the Pels were going to get the number one pick and people were just, you know, just losing their mind about this next phenom coming to New Orleans. And then you got to remember, this is coming off of the AD season where the depression level was at an all-time low. And I went to some of those games at the end of the year after AD demanded a trade. And, man, it was bad. And there was some real concern about what does this mean for the franchise? How long is New Orleans going to be able to keep a team if this is what the crowds are going to look like? And then a few months later, you throw Zion into the mix and people are like, oh, man, we're all in. We love Zion. Zion's going to be the guy. We're going to watch this next superstar rise. And then right before his rookie season starts, hurts his knee, 
He's out for multiple months. And now the team's back to being bad. They go on a 13-game losing streak. Uh, B.I.'s, you know, rising as a star, but still, they're a really bad team. So, you know, the fan interest drops again. And then Zion comes back in January, and he's putting up these incredible numbers, the 20-point streak, the the four three-pointers in his debut, and then people are all in on Zion again. They're making a push for the playoffs, and then the pandemic hits. (laughs) And then, you know, sports is over, and then that team falls apart, and then they go to the bubble, and then things go extremely bad. So I think it's just been a a, a up-and-down thing with Zion Williamson here in New Orleans. People want to go all in on him because it's not only just him, the basketball player. I think people love his personality and just, you know, how much of a humble dude he is, how much he's embraced New Orleans as a community uh, coming to a franchise like the Pelicans. Uh, But I think it's just been tough just because of the circumstances for the city to really go all in on Zion the way they wanted to. Uh, But I think the way he's playing right now, I mean, people, man, are are just shocked about how good he is this early in his career and just the way he's already made an all-star team, uh, they already had an all-star in Brandon Ingram and Zion's kind of wrestled away the leadership role of his team. And I think you've seen over the past few weeks that this has become Zion Williamson's team. And people are really excited about just the future and what that means and what type of player he can become because he's this great already. And there really isn't a jump shot. The passing can improve. The defense isn't right. anything where to what we saw at Duke. So, I mean, just thinking what this guy is going to be five years from now is scary. Yeah, he's a superstar. And really what he has is his body and a head of steam. And like, that's <laughs> like, that's it. That's all he needs. Breaking news on the pod. Uh-oh. Unplanned. Uh-oh. Blake Griffin has agreed to a buyout with, oh, with the Detroit Pistons okay. and will become an unrestricted free agent. I'm so, so intrigued as to what Blake will do Uh like who does he choose obviously there'll be a lot of teams in line to just try to bring Blake in just for nothing uh I think the Nets make sense for that I think that you could look at a team like the Lakers and Clippers are obviously going to be teams that are in line I also just can't help but think about the Warriors and I don't know that he would consider going to a team like the Warriors but is he not perfect, Will? Like, I just feel He's like... perfect for the Warriors. God, he can pass it. He can he can be, like, big Draymond, and you have actual Draymond on the court, on the offensive. And defensively, obviously, there's going to be some things that he can't, can't do. But, man, the Warriors lack scoring in so many ways. And Blake is obviously not who he's been in the past. But, man, he would be a massive upgrade for them. And this has been a story even when the Warriors had all of their guys, the the minutes with Steph on the court yep. versus the minutes with Steph off of the court. And I think adding a guy like Blake could really give them a little extra punch. Uh, another guy who can create some shots for those other guys when Steph sits down. So, yeah, I would love Blake and Golden State. Uh, I, I would. I know the Pelicans fans won't love hearing me say this, but I think I would love Blake and the Lakers uniform yep. as well. I think mm-hmm. we've seen LeBron can resurrect anybody's career. I mean, we saw what he did with Rondo at Dwight Howard last year. Okay. So, uh, uh, you know, uh, we know he could bring Blake back, but uh, yeah, I think those are the two teams I will circle as the, the destinations I would love to see for Blake. And I just want to see a Blake redemption story, man. Yes. It's just been so sad with Blake the past few years. I mean, he he made the All NBA team that first year in Detroit, and, and it felt like you know he was really starting to bring it back, and then the knees dragged him down again. I just want to see him have that big, you know, just a, a redemption story at the end of his career. Again, sort of similar to what we saw with Dwight and Rondo last year on that championship team. Mm-hmm. 
And and going to the Lakers would also add the element of the revenge story against the Clippers, the Clippers. which would be very fun too. <laughs> yeah, it would be. Yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm so, so intrigued. I want to see him on the Warriors. Unfortunately, it's probably going to be the Nets or the Lakers or somebody like that. And, and this time, if he sprints away from Bomber, he could say it's because of social distancing concerns. It's not, <laughs> you know, it's the, listen, Bomber, we got to keep six feet, okay? That's why I ran away from you. He came up to hug me, okay? We got to remember that. That's so good. Okay, well, now it is time for the number one game show in NBA podcasting. It's time for Andrew versus the Beat, not Hashim. Andrew versus the Beat matches our host, Andrew Schlecht, against an NBA beat writer in a battle of wits as they attempt to correctly answer trivia questions about the team that was picked that week by the Wheel of Fandom. In our first episode, Andrew suffered a loss to Fred Katz, beat writer for the Washington Wizards. This week, our guest is Will Guillory, beat writer for the New Orleans Pelicans. Thank you for joining us, Will. Now, let's go over the rules quickly. We're going to start with Will. You're going to give me a number between 1 and 10. That number will correspond to a trivia question. Some questions are very easy. A child could answer them. No offense to children. (laughs) Other questions are very difficult. You won't know which you're going to get. If you get your question right, that's two points. If you get it wrong, the other person will have a chance to steal for one point. We'll go back and forth choosing numbers until all 10 questions have been answered. And one note about the Pelicans for our listeners. Anytime I say New Orleans Pelicans franchise, I'm referring to anything that happened in New Orleans NBA history since 2002 when they were first established as the Hornets. I have, however, left out any questions about the two years the Hornets spent in Oklahoma City because, as I mentioned last week, the goal of this segment is for Andrew to lose and including questions about those teams may give him an unfair or even arguably fair advantage. (laughs) Okay, so let's begin. Will, I need a number between 1 and 10. Ooh, I just want to show for the record that this is a notepad I have right here. I don't want you guys to think I'm cheating or anything like that. So if you see me down here writing, it's not I'm not Googling anything, okay? This is just me scribbling my thoughts. Uh, but I got to start with seven. You know, I rep the seven ward down here in New Orleans. So number seven, please. Okay, question number seven. Before committing to Duke, Zion Williamson's stepdad said that this college teen college team had a, quote, mile and a half lead in recruiting Zion, but blew it at the last minute. I would probably say Kentucky, maybe. Unfortunately, that was incorrect. Andrew, you have a chance to steal for one point. See, that was going to... Which college team had a mile and a half lead in recruiting Zion? That was going to be my guess as well. Somebody to blow it. Maybe Syracuse? Ooh, you got the color correct. It was an orange color, but it was the Clemson Tigers. Mm. Clemson Tigers. I I knew I should have guessed South Carolina. I knew they were South Carolina fans. (laughs) Okay, so Andrew, your turn to pick a number. Let's go 10. All right, number 10, my favorite question. (laughs) When the Pelicans debuted their new mascot, Pierre the Pelican, it was met with horror, anguish, and disgust. A nightmare had come alive. The Pelicans quickly shifted, introducing a new and more family-friendly version of Pierre. While the real reason for the change was the mascot's terrifying appearance, what was the official reason given by the team for why Pierre's appearance was changed? <laughs> I don't know. I don't remember what the official reason was. I remember this very clearly. I hope, and I don't know if we're going to talk about King Cake Baby later, but like that's that's also something that haunts my nightmares. But I don't know. <laughs> All right. Well, Will, you have a chance to steal. Now, I feel like I remember this, but I'm going to feel terrible if I miss this. But I believe their explanation to the fan base was that Pierre had some sort of plastic surgery on his beak. And that's why he, I remember him kind of having the wrap around the beak. And that's why he, they had to switch things up. Is that correct? 
that is true. Um, I'll get, you know what? I'll give you a point. It's only a point. The actual reason was that he broke his beak playing pickup basketball with the other mascots. And in fact, Grizz from the Memphis Grizzlies specifically broke his beak. Wow. <laughs> that Grizz um, is always okay. a little too physical in the pickup games. I, I've heard that before. Unbelievable. <laughs> okay, so Will, it is your turn again to pick a number. Uh, I'm going to go with uh, number one. All right, number one. Question number one, the only jersey number that has been retired by the New Orleans Pelicans franchise is Pete Maravich's number seven. Maravich also had his jersey number retired by two other franchises, the Utah Jazz and the Atlanta Hawks, making him one of only two players in NBA history to have their jersey number retired by three different franchises. Who is the other player that has had their jersey number retired three times? I don't think it's Wilt. I'm going to go Michael Jordan. That is a good guess. He is retired by both the Chicago Bulls and the Miami Heat, but he does not have a third team. Andrew, you have a chance to steal. This Let's say Shaq. Thing. Let's say Shaq. Well, actually, Will had it. It was Wilt Chamberlain. Oh. Sorry you should know that. all NBA people know whenever there's a crazy stat question, the first guess should always <laughs> be Wilt. Right. Wilt should be the first guess every time. Well, I had I had a Wilt question last week, and I was like, oh, is this too obvious doing another Wilt that's question? Why, that's why I didn't guess it. <laughs> oh, really? Oh, I don't know okay. how your, your mind works here. <laughs> okay, Andrew, it's your, it's your turn. Uh, let's go two. Number two, which player in Pelicans history became the first NBA player since Kareem Abdul-Jabbar in 1972 to have a 40-20-10 game? 40 points, 20 rebounds, 10 assists. That's got to be Anthony Davis, right? But your smile makes me think it's not. I'll go Anthony Davis. That was incorrect. I was smiling because I saw Will mouth the words, I know this. <laughs> I was in the building for this game. And a fun story, I was tweeting about this that during the game because I looked it up on Basketball Reference. And I believe this uh, on Basketball Reference, if you looked it up that night, they said Will Chamberlain was the last guy to do it. And if you go look at this guy's interview after the game, I asked him, what's it like to put up a stat where you're being compared to Wilt? And that's how he answered the question. And then later somebody came to me and said, no, actually Kareem was the last guy to put up this <laughs> stat line. And the correct answer is DeMarcus Cousins did this against the that Chicago Bulls. That is correct. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so Will is in the lead, two to zero, and it is Will's turn to pick a number. Uh, I'm going to go with uh, five. Number five. The Pelicans have made it past the first round of the playoffs only twice in their history. Which two teams did they beat to make it to the second round in those years? You don't have to give me the years, but just the two teams they beat. Uh, I covered one of those where they swept the Portland Trailblazers in the first round. And the other one, I believe, uh, I believe that Chris Paul team beat the Dallas Mavericks in the first round. That is correct. Oh. Two points for Will. All right. So, Andrew, you're now down four to zero. Ouch. Are things starting to fall apart for you? This has not been a good <laughs> trivia day for me. <laughs> I'll go six. All right, now this is a fun question. Andrew will know what type of question this is. So All-Star Weekend is here, so let's take a look back at the Pelicans' history at the All-Star Game. The New Orleans Pelicans franchise has had nine players selected to the All-Star Game in their history. I want you to name all nine All-Stars. Now this question will be a little different. We're going to start with Andrew, 
Andrew, you're going to give me a name. Then I'll go to Will. Will will give me a name. We'll go back and forth until you either have named all nine All-Stars, in which case Andrew will get the two points, or if Andrew stumbles, and then Will gets the two points, and he gets all two points. So we'll start with Andrew. Give me a Pelicans All-Star. Uh, Chris Paul. That is correct. Will. Um, Anthony Davis. That is correct. Back to Andrew. Zion Williamson. Correct. Back to Will. DeMarcus Cousins. Correct. Back to Andrew. How many are there in total? Seven? There are nine. nine. You've named four. Oh, boy. This is, this is where it gets a little choppy for me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Baron Davis? That is correct. Oh, I literally Back. just wrote Baron Davis down on my notepad. <laughs> uh, Back to Will. Brandon Ingram. Correct. I was wondering who was going to say that. That was only last year. Mm-hmm. All right, Andrew, we have three left. Three New Orleans Pelicans who have been an all-star. And if you get this wrong, <laughs> Will's going to take a commanding six-point lead, Andrew. <laughs> oh, this is painful. I don't know that I know. I don't know that I can think of it. All right. Well, that means that Will has won. Will, are there any other names you'd like to throw out there just to flaunt? Uh, I want to throw David West out there. That is correct. If I can, and, and I want to see if I got the other two right because I haven't written down all of these right here. I told you on my notepad. Uh-huh. <laughs> I, the other two, I know Jamal McGlure made one. I remember that. Yes. Shout out to oh, Jamal McClure. McClure. Oh, man. Yes. Just because he's a center. The ninth yeah. guy was Jamal Mashburn. Is that right? That is correct. Two Jamals, Jamal McGlure and Jamal Mashburn. Mash. Wow. A clean sweep for Will. Ouch. So that gets you up to six points, and you get to choose the next question. We only have four um, left. I'm going with uh, nine. All right. Number nine. When the Hornets changed their name to the Pelicans, they actually filed trademarks for four other team names that did not end up being used. Which of the following names was not one of those four trademark team names? Mosquitoes, Gators, Swamp Dogs, Bull Sharks, or Rougarou? I'm going to go, I know Rougarou was one. Um, I'm going to go with uh, Bull Sharks was not one. Bullsharks, that is incorrect. Andrew, you have a chance to steal. Which of these was not one of the trademark names? Mosquitoes, Gators, Swamp Dogs, or Rougarou? Gators. Andrew, that is correct. I yes. thought I might trick you with Gators, but you got it. Definitely All right, Andrew's me. on the board. Oh, I just wanted, Six to one. I just want to get on the board. <laughs> <laughs> and there's only three questions left, Andrew. You can still win. Uh, three. Who is the all-time Pelicans leader in three-pointers made? I don't know, Alex. Any guesses, Andrew? No guesses. Oh, oh, Andrew, not even a guess. Okay, Will, (laughs) do you have any guesses? All-time Pelicans leader in three-pointers made. This is another fortunate one. I was in the building for when this actually (laughs) happened. But uh, Drew Holiday is actually the all-time leader in three-pointers for the True. Pelicans, which is surprising. That this is, is a little correct. bit of a trick question right there because you wouldn't think of Drew Holiday as an all-time leader in three-pointers for a franchise. I didn't think of like, it. Uh, Literally didn't think New of Orleans. it. <laughs> Did not think of it. All right, Will, there's two questions left. Four or eight? I'm going to go with four. All right, now I think this is the hardest question I came up with. Oh, Just God. fair warning. Chris Paul is the all-time Pelicans franchise leader in triple doubles with 11. 
Who is second on that all-time list with six triple-doubles? This might sound crazy. I might go with DeMarcus Cousins. Good guess, but that is incorrect. Andrew, you have a chance to steal. Good luck. Who is the second on the Pelicans franchise leader list of triple-doubles? Tyreek Evans? Another good guess, but the correct answer... Alfred Payton. Oh, oh in one season. Unreal. <laughs> that in one season in New Orleans. Wow. All right, Andrew, this is the final question. You'll get first dibs on it. Okay. In 2017, current Pelican Lonzo Ball became the youngest player in NBA history to post a triple-double in a game. His record has since been broken twice. Name the two players in NBA history who were younger than Lonzo when they had their first triple-double. Zion Williamson. We'll just say LaMelo. I don't think that's right, though. All right. Uh, that is incorrect. Not necessarily all your answers are incorrect. I'm just saying you didn't get it right. So now it goes to Will. Will, you have a chance to steal one more point I, from Andrew. I believe the two are Luca and LaMelo. That is also incorrect. So you guys got LaMelo correct. The other name, Markel Fultz. Oh, oh. Markel. I forgot about that one. All right, so that brings us to the end of Andrew versus the Beat. Will won with seven points. Andrew, one point. I was in, <laughs> I, I was in the building when I lost to Will, seven to one. <laughs> See, that's why I lucked up compared to Fred, because y'all are asking Fred questions like, from 1970 until right. now, <laughs> and the Pelicans go back to like, oh, two, so like half of these events I was there for. <laughs> so, <laughs> I definitely had an unfair advantage. Uh, which is oh, the man. point of the game, right? That is. It's just so Alex can see me get crushed. That's what this, that's the <laughs> point of all of it. Well, thanks so much for coming on. Thanks for sharing your knowledge about the Pelicans and for just making me look like a little boy. Thank you so much. Hey, I appreciate y'all for having me on, man. It was fun. Thanks, Will. Huge thanks to Will for joining the show. I thought he was so good. Obviously, very, very smart when it came to trivia questions. Uh, <laughs> the exact opposite for me today. Uh, Alex... Let's talk All-Star real quick. I don't I don't love doing podcasts that only focus on All-Star, so we'll just give it just a little nugget here at the end. But what, what are you looking forward to about this All-Star weekend? If you're as obsessed with basketball as I am, then you know there's no better time of year than the NBA playoffs. Hey guys, this is JJ Redick. Twice a week, I'm cooking up something special for basketball junkies on my podcast, The Old Man and the Three. I bring on guests in all stages of their careers to talk about the league and share stories you won't hear anywhere else, like Devin Booker on why he talks so much trash, or Paulo Bencaro on his shooting workouts with Kevin Durant, Ray Allen's epic free throw competitions with LeBron when they were teammates in Miami. But it's not just about the player interviews. Every Monday, I break down the top three things happening around the NBA without the outlandish takes. Often joined by masterminds of the game like Tim Legler, we dive deep into topics like rookie reports, trade breakdowns, and why is mean mugging now a tech? The Old Man of the Three is the only companion podcast you'll need during the playoffs this year. Be sure to listen to The Old Man and the Three ad-free on Wondery Plus or wherever you get your podcasts. I would say two things. One, that everything is going to be condensed into one night. I just think that is going to be so much fun to get, you know, skills, dunk, three-point, and then be able to watch the game all in one night. And then of the individual contests, I'm really excited about three-point contests. Yeah. This year, it is just stacked. Every single player, I think, is an all-star. And so it's, I think that is going to be the most fun, especially in comparison to the dunk contests, 
where, you know, maybe it's not the most exciting candidates. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm looking forward to the Utah Jazz All-Stars getting some revenge out there on the court. Uh, I'm looking forward to the skills challenge to a degree as well. There's some really good contestants and Robert Covington. I'm just I'm just very intrigued to see what Robert Covington can do in a in something like the skills challenge because he's just not that kind of player. And maybe he'll surprise us. Maybe you can go to BetMGM right now. You get the best odds on Robert Covington to win the skills challenge. <laughs> get in there now. Uh, I'm 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 intrigued by that. I'm actually kind of excited for this All Star game too. I like that they pick teams. I like that there's a little bit of like aggression uh, toward one another with that. I think it's great. And we're doing the Elam ending, right? I mean, they, they have to. That? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because that that was so much fun last year. So it was I'm excited to see that. Yeah. So I'm I I loved watching the game last year. It had been a while since I could even say that sentence. Like I loved watching the All Star game. Uh, and I'm excited to watch it this year too. I think I'm gonna watch it with my kiddos on Sunday night. Should be, should be a fun time. Before we go, Alex, we have to do the wheel of fandom to see where we're headed next week. That is true. We need to do the wheel of fandom. Who are we going to watch? There's only two nights of games next week, so hopefully uh, we get a team that has some ongoing storylines. It will be fun to talk about. Okay, here's the wheel. I've removed the Pelicans. I've removed the Wizards. So 28 teams remain. Who is it going to be, Andrew? Spinning the wheel. Oh, my. Alex. Hopefully we get an all-star. Hopefully a team that has an all-star. Oh, the Thunder. The Thunder. Wow. Honestly, that might be the best one to do this week since yeah. not a lot is going to be going on. Okay. And we can just talk about the thunder. We're just talking thunder next week. We gotta get. Uh, we maybe we'll bring on some down to dunk guys. Maybe we'll get uh, a thunder beat writer. Who knows? Let's we'll figure it out. Maybe we'll just bring on the down to dunk frypod crew to uh, do some more trivia and bring some more hatred towards one another as we do it. <laughs> <laughs> Again, thanks for listening to the Saturday Slam and Jam. Enjoy your breakfast. Enjoy whatever you're doing today. Take it easy, and we'll talk to you guys again next week. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.